This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I have a question for you. Yes, Vanya. What do two BFFs, a succubus from hell, and a band that will do anything for fame have in common? Um, uh, our podcast? <laughs> exactly. It is actually... Who's the succubus? <laughs> oh, you we- will see. The movie that we will be covering is Jennifer's Body, which is a horror comedy. Oh, yeah. And there's some rom in there, meaning romantic relationships, for sure. I haven't seen this movie since it came out in 2009, but fun, weird fact. Tell me. um, The first job that I got in uh, L.A., which is weirdly, I still work there (laughs) now, but um, El Cid, uh, which is a, a... venue that does like live music and all kinds of stuff but when i first started working there they were doing like twice a week a musical version of jennifer's body that's fun was it good Which was fun it was it was great oh it was my god fun. i could see you in that Avrin. i think you'd be so yeah good. i feel like they used you know pop songs from the era of the movie it's to tell the story and it was a lot of fun so, so that's my most recent um memory of that's it. great i love that i you know i had very like peripherally seen it in 2009 when it came out um and re-watching it it was really enjoyable and okay. just so you know you can get it you can stream it for free on prime if you or i guess it's not free but if you have prime you can stream it with commercials there's an unrated cut which is basically a longer director's cut that you do have to buy on prime but hey you can watch it for free and i really Really enjoyed it. And so we're covering, you know, normally we cover a rom-com and then everyone's going to do a true crime. But because this is the week of Hallow's Eve, we wanted Aww. to go a little more horror-y for yeah, Halloween. Yeah, we let Vanya, Vanya go to the scaries a little bit. Which is funny because I am, uh, I mean, like most of you know, I'm a big old, big old ball sack when it comes to horror. I'm a little scared. <laughs> Um, but this one is right up my alley. It's it's kind of slasher, but it's... I, here's the thing. I can do... i rather do a slasher film than like a possession film, for example. Sure, sure. Like, And I yeah. like them all. Yeah, you love yeah, them all, which I love that I about love you. I love them all. Only, the only ones that ever truly seem to scare me in any real way are like horror movies where just people do bad things to people for no reason. Oh, like The Strangers is like... The only movie that I think ever kept me up at night. 
you know, once I was over the age of so 15. not so <laughs> the conjuring or what's the other one? Those I mean, I love them. I love them. They're so fun. But no, they don't like the, the fear. They, they can get me with like the jump, the boo. Yeah. You know, and I can be like, oh, but um, it doesn't stay with me like any scary feelings. But the the movies where it's like, well, the strangers is the one where it's a couple that their relationship is falling apart and they go up to this cabin in the woods that's theirs. And then three masked humans knock on their door and for no reason there's never an explanation given for why because there isn't one they just like stalk terrorize torture and kill these people oh and it's that's the only a, yeah and i was just yeah. like that could happen i guess <laughs> whereas like i don't really believe that the conjuring could happen even though i know it's based on real people and real situations yeah i i, I, I can fully fully creep myself out with some of those shows you know that are like that my husband i think i told the story once but he was i was so after you have a baby, sometimes you're really sensitive and like things are more impactful. So I was like, I don't want to watch a horror movie. And my husband had said, oh, we're, we're going to watch The Witch. And I like I like witches. Witches are fun, right? Hmm? Um, and he was, I've seen that one. Yeah. That's not a fun But one. I told him, I said, listen, as long as there's no possession or kids getting hurt, then I'm cool. Literally, that is the entire movie. Right. <laughs> so I hope you all saw our our uh, announcement. We're part of the Connected Network now, and one of the other podcasts on their network is called Dismembering Horror. So if you're a really big horror fan and you really like to dissect and go through it line by line, I really recommend their podcast because it's fun. Yeah, you should check them out. I, I like I like horror. I love it. I live for it. <laughs> I like it in like a way of why do humans make it, and it's fascinating to me. Well, and it's interesting, too, because we talked about this last week, like or maybe not last week, a couple weeks ago about what what a rom-com does to the, to your brain, how it gives you that flush, yes. that sense of like falling in love, which makes you feel a little high. Whereas like I think horror movies do the same thing, but it's not necessarily the same feeling as falling in love, but it's that adrenaline rush. Right. It's a way to like get just like, woo, pumped up. Yeah. through watching and you're safe other people go through stuff yeah. and you're safe you know even if you are somebody who gets so scared that you don't feel like you're safe you are safe yeah that's me I'm really uh I can wrap my mind around something and believe it ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> well Jennifer's body was written by Diablo Cody and she was coming off hot of Juno from 2007 oh, yeah, I think it was yeah. and that movie kind of put her on the map because she has this very particular writing she's very clever quippy writing and I had mm -hmm. read some reviews of saying of the saying about the girls so okay wait let me start first this movie did not get great reviews in 2009 which is crazy to me because I really think it's I think it's a brilliant movie it's directed by Karen Kusuma and she's done other things she did Anne Flux she did one called The Invitation in 2018 she did something with Ooh, Nicole I've been Kidman to watch that yeah I really love her I love her directing I feel like when I watched this it felt like every scene every frame even was purposeful and I did I also read the screenplay so some of the things that I get today will be from the pulling from the screenplay it's not exactly the same and you get to see where they cut it's fascinating to me because I love that kind of stuff that's cool because I know Diablo Cody is, is such a um, well-known like well liked I guess I don't know if that's the right way to say yeah. it but she's a, a widely respected uh, screenwriter and so cool that you actually got to read her script 
Yeah, it, it's really good and it inspires me because, you know, deep down, I think all of us either want to act or write or something. And I deep down, deep in my darkest desires is I want to write a script and it's fun to read a good one. So yeah. this, the cast is Megan Fox, who plays Jennifer Check, Jennifer's body, and then Amanda Seyfried, and who plays Anita. She goes by Needy. And mm-hmm. we have Johnny Simmons, who plays Chip Dove, who's Anita's boyfriend, Needy's boyfriend. And then there's a couple other characters that I'll uh, tell you about along Get the way. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's good, man. It's really good. Okay, so shall I begin? Begin. Okay. Remind me. It's All right. Been- 13 years or 12 years where did you see did you see it in the theater or did I you, did yeah who did you go with do you remember I don't remember I'm mean, like 2009 I would have been living in New York I probably went with like Michelle Teresa or Phil exactly I knew you those are your guys yeah it's probably Phil honestly we we were the ones that like to go see the horror movies together that's really I, but I don't remember do I love that okay yeah so it's we open on a scene and it's nighttime and it's we get this creepy feeling of someone lurking outside a house. We see in her bedroom, Jennifer, her teeth are stained with blood and she's watching TV. She's super sexy, obviously, because she's Megan Fox. And her best <laughs> friend, for just a fleeting moment, Needy appears outside her window and then disappears. And you hear in voiceover, hell is a teenage girl. And then we cut to, so it's kind of like this, they've got this framing device that I've listened to a couple other podcasts where people weren't totally in love with, but whatever, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to an asylum where Needy is. Oh, she's a patient? Patient in this asylum. And she explains that she's a kicker now. She didn't used to be this way. She she kicks a prison or a nutritionist, prison, prison nutritionist in the face. And we see a blood and tooth land in a puddle on the floor. And you kind of are like, gross. Then she goes to solitary confinement. We hear her voiceover and she says, I wasn't always this cracked. I used to be normal. Well, as normal as any girl under the influence of teenage hormones. But after the killings began, I started to feel, I don't know, loose around the edges. And then you hear this sappy love song that comes through the speakers and she's in solitary confinement. And it appears like it's physically hurting her. And she says, I hate this song. What song is it? It's a low shoulder song, which is a band that's in this movie. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's not like a song that was already, that we would know before the I movie. don't think okay. so. No, I don't think this song was out. This is a song that, that reverberates throughout the film. Gotcha. And how we got there. So it takes place in the small town of Devil's Kettle, which is a quiet farming community surrounded by dense woods and mirrored lakes. It's the kind of town that has one high school, one pizza joint, and one stoplight. And that was in the script. And we hear Needy say, this is where it all went down. Devil's Kettle sounded twisted. I know, but the place is just named after a dumb waterfall. She said, it's hard to believe that two months ago, me, Jennifer, and my boyfriend Chip were completely normal people. We were, we were our yearbook pictures. Nothing more, nothing less. They go through a montage of black and white yearbook photos, and we see Jennifer executing the splits on a football field. She's on the flag team, they call it, not the cheer team. That's something different than I've heard, but so I okay. think they call it the the flag team, yeah. And she's got a bright smile. She's gorgeous. So she's like the, you know, ch- cheerleader captain, essentially. And then we have Needy, a picture of her inspecting a school newspaper layout, pen in hand, glasses on her nose. 
So she's like the nerdy one. So she's like a journalist. Yeah. yeah. And then we have Chip Dove, who is Needy's boyfriend. He's playing a strap-on snare drum at a school pep rally, and his head is bent in concentration. And that it's kind of cool because that picture becomes color, and then it's in reality, and they're at the school pep rally. Gotta love a pep rally. I know. It's like we're setting up these tropes of high school mm-hmm. slasher type, you know, film. And yeah. So we know where we are as the audience. Then Needy talks about her best friend, Jennifer. And she says, back then we were tight, sisters practically. People found it hard to believe that a babe like Jennifer would associate with a dork like me. But sandbox love never dies. So they've been friends since they were little. And it goes back and forth, but it seems like at times it maybe was more than friendship, maybe obsession, maybe romantic. In the... Yeah, and we see in the stands, Needy is locking eyes with Jennifer, who is performing on the flag team. And a girl next to her goes, she's like similarly geeky looking, and she turns to Needy and she's like, you're totally lesbian. And Needy's like, what? She's my best friend. And Chastity says, you stare at her like you want to dry hump her. And (laughs) it's just so funny. So we kind of set that up because she does kind of stare at her like that. Stare at her like she wants to dry hump her. Oh my gosh, so high school, dry humping. And... (laughs) I exactly. I love dry humping. It's great. Um, I <laughs> I was thinking about though when I remember seeing previews for this movie and they really did amp up the like girl on girl action. So yeah. young boys would not young boys, but like teenage boys would be like, I'm going to see this movie because of this. Because, but the thing is, I fe- really feel like it's such a disservice to this movie because I think it's the best thing. I No, it is the best thing that Megan Fox has ever acted in. I think she's brilliant in it. And she plays the role perfectly. Yeah. And I actually, Amanda Seyfried's great in it too. But I really think that, and there's yeah, also... Yeah, you just know, like, even though women created this movie, like, some dude in a studio was like, I know how we're going to promote this. Exactly. <laughs> and they 100%. were, like, just leaning into the fact that there's a friendship that seems like there could be some sexual chemistry underneath it yeah. all. Which is totally great. I love that. But I also think... It's too bad that it wasn't put out, like, it wasn't marketed the way that this film is. It's a black comedy, but it's also... Yeah, like, it's like a dark comedy horror movie that's saying a lot of things. Exactly. That's how I feel. So later on, Jennifer stops by Needy's locker, and they have this common banter whenever they see each other. She says, hi, Monistat. And Needy's like, hi, Vagisol. It just makes me laugh because I feel like high school, I don't know why, but this movie made me think of my high school a lot. Just, I don't know. I'm not from a a super small town, but it kind of has small town vibes and everybody knows everybody's business kind of thing. So, anywho, Jennifer tells her best her BFF, and they don't say BFF, they say Biff, which I think is funny. Oh, they're Biffs. Yeah, we're Biffs. She tells her Biff that they're that they will be going to see an all ages show at the only bar in town called Melanie Melody Lane. Though she already has plans with her boyfriend Chip, Needy is completely influenced, coerced, maybe even like sexually bullied by Jennifer, Mm -hmm. and she agrees to go. And as Jennifer is about to leave, she yells back, "Wear something cute." (laughs) <laughs> which to that means we hear in voiceover where something cute meant something very specific in Jennifer speak. It meant I couldn't look like a total zero, but I couldn't upstage her either. I could expose my stomach, but never cleavage. Tits were her trademark. That was great writing. And so she's getting ready and chip her boyfriend's there. And we only wear pink on Wednesdays. <laughs> it, it was, it's a little in that vein of like, 
you know, mean girl for sure. Yeah. Like you got the alpha friend. That's Jennifer. Absolutely. And I, you know, I definitely, I, I witnessed girls like that in our school. I had a bit more of a broader, I had close friends, but like a broader friendship. But I know that feeling of like when your friends are your everything, like you even if you had a boyfriend, it's like your friends are the most important thing. And I completely right. can hold on to that and relate to that. And so Chip is thinking, you know, he's they're They're having some dialogue back and forth. And he's thinking that maybe he's going to get lucky. And all of a sudden we, we can see needy sense that Jennifer's there. And they have this BFF connection, the two girls. Jealous Chip, Chip yells out as they leave. Melody Lane is not a club. Clubs are for attractive people in populous urban areas. Because... <laughs> Jennifer's like, we're going to the club. We're going to be late. Let's go. As they enter the bar, and it's kind of out in the woods because it's... Okay, right, because it's like the only bar in town. Exactly. I didn't actually look up where they shot this, but it really, it felt like Vancouver or Vancouver, British Columbia. In fact, it actually felt kind of like where I went to college in Bellingham. The woods, oh. it was like the, that really mossy woods. Who knows? Okay. But I but I bet it, I, I would put some money on it. That was Vancouver. So... As they enter the bar, Jennifer and Needy walk past Roman, who's played by Chris Pratt, and he's an officer in training. Also, the ex-boyfriend <laughs> of Jennifer, who men they mentioned that took her back door virginity. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's not a virgin. She's the front and the back. People have been inside. They've hung out. I'm sure it's been good. Um, and wait, he's a grown man, but he's her ex? Yeah, he's older. He's definitely, he's drinking alcohol. So it's an all ages show and these girls are high school students. So it is a little bit uncomfortable because you're like, oh God. Oh, one thing I thought that I would mention is, you know, you don't see the parents very often. And <sighs> I get the feeling, you get the feeling that like maybe, for example, Needy's mom, she's a single mom played by Amy Sedaris, guys. It, oh, she, love her. I was just like, holy I love her so much. I, had no idea and I love her too I don't rem uh, I don't remember that she was in that so she's in it and she's always awesome. working the night shift so needy's home alone a lot it just feels like these are some lonely kids where their parents are always working and that's definitely a thing from when I was in high school not necessarily of my parents but like you had those friends and maybe that's still the, the case but I feel like parents now are so helicoptery and overprotective I'll, I just wonder what I'll be like when my kids are in, right in you their think teens. there's do you think there's still latchkey kids out there or not really I don't I definitely not any that I've seen I think everybody's right. afraid of your kid getting like molested and murdered which happens so much or maybe we just heard about it a lot but it felt like it happened mm -hmm. a lot <laughs> oh I digress dear god maybe because we were hanging out without our parents I don't I know. know I was always doing something but I would I had a lot of confidence like I could take care of myself just like these girls do and you know you are becoming an adult at this time but anyways these girls they're quickly distracted by the band and Jennifer says oh you can totally tell they're from the city so she's just like she j you can tell she just wants to get out. She's so attracted yeah. by anything that's not this small town. Right. She's busting at the seams to get out of her small town. Exactly. And I can mm -hmm. understand that, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I used to go to shows when I was in high school. I used to see all the bands. But she says, I, here's the difference, though. I wasn't really a groupie. I wanted to be a rock star. So I was like, oh, I was just like watching them. Anyways, she says, they need groupies. Needy, come on. And Needy's like, no. But they go up and talk to them anyway. And Jennifer awkwardly fangirls out. And she's like, low shoulder, right? <laughs> I've heard you guys are super, super good at playing your instruments. 
So, you know, it's written that it's written like she's an idiot, but it she's like nervous and excited. It also makes you say, oh, she's a good girl. She's not like an right. adult woman, though she looks like it. And Nikolai, right. the lead singer, who is played by, I will tell you this, I got to keep my um, my cast list up so I can check it out. It's played by Adam Brody. Nikolai Wolf is the lead singer. And oh, he's, so 2009 for yes. Adam Brody. I know. And he actually, I, he sings. He has a good voice. And he, when he does, when they perform, it's so like emo rock band. It's amazing. He says, mm-hmm. I hope we can live up to such high praise. Then Jennifer offers to buy him a drink. And Needy's like, how are you going to get alcohol? And she's like, I'll just play Hello Titty with the bartender. Apparently playing Hello Titty gets her drinks there. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> Obviously in a small town, it's like the bartender probably knows that you're in high school. But maybe it doesn't matter in a small town. They're like, get drunk, girl, have fun. Maybe. I think that's what it seems like. And as as Jennifer uh, gets the drinks, Needy overhears the band talking about... Needy's playing like a... Uh, what's that game? Like a pinball game. She's put, yeah. Needy's playing a pinball game called Fire. And she can hear the band talk about Jennifer being a virgin. And like kind of in a weird, sick way... She, like, what do they want with her? Needy comes to her defense and she's like, basically like, fuck off, guys. She isn't. She's a virgin, though she isn't. She's right, like, you she that. is a virgin, so you shouldn't like mess with her. So as the girls watch the band, low shoulder play, the look of joy and like fanning out on Jennifer's face is beyond. Um, as Needy and Jen hold hands, they're holding hands and they're having this like friendship moment. And in pure euphoria, it's this. It's like the way that the director filmed it, it it makes you feel like something chemical between them is going on. It's so magical and special. And all of a sudden, Jennifer turns to the band. It's really not about needy at all. Not about right. that. So they kind of lose their their hands, stop holding, and we move forward. All, almost as if in a trance, Jennifer, she is fully in a daze, maybe I would say even possessed as she listens to the band play. And in a weird, crazy, creepy turn of events, the bar slowly, you see this like little piece of flame with, it's like starts with an electric fire, move up to the rafters and the entire, it goes from like this euphoric place to all hell breaks loose in this crazy fire action scene where people are like on fire. When you look at the stunt uh, names at the end of the, movie it's a lot because I think they had to use a lot of stunt people to get this scene accurate it was crazy and people died now the only way the girls were able to escape this like horrible blaze they ran to the bathroom and through a tiny window above the toilet they snuck out and as they're out there the lead singer Nikolai says hey hey you guys want to head somewhere safer like my van as if a stranger's rape van is a safe place. I mean, it looks like a rapey van. It's got right. the blackout windows and everything. And Jennifer's like, yes, I want to go see their van. Come on, Needy. And Needy's like, dude, no, this is like not right. a good idea. Like we all know where this is heading, except exactly. we don't. I mean, she has no idea. But. Exactly. But I, that's what I think. I think I hope my kid, either girl or boy, when that moment comes and the pit of your stomach says, no, this is a bad idea, you can say no. I really... <laughs> for that um so jennifer jumps in the van and needy you hear needy say i watched her get into that van and i knew something awful was going to happen he was skinny and twisted and evil like this petrified tree i saw when i was a kid and it cuts to her as a little girl 
staring at this creepy petrified tree. It's kind of random, but it's a it's kind of a fun moment yeah. too. And they drive off without Needy away from the mel- the bar Melody Lane, and it's complete. It's like blowing up in flames. Needy gets back home and calls Chip on her flip phone, and she tells him like, I just experienced some serious trauma like people from our town are dead this is crazy and then my best friend is went off in a van with six guys a band also don't let your friends go off with strangers never yeah stick together stick together but also i mean don't get in the van don't get yeah get keep your friend from getting in the van is our that's our advice and she's scared and Needy's by herself and all of a sudden the doorbell rings like ding dong ding dong ding dong ding dong and Chip's like where's your mom and Needy's like swing shift so she slowly walks down the stairs and this is where like some of the fun booze and things happen but no one is there she opens the door and then we see the, an image or something move behind her and as she slowly walks towards the basement door which I'm like oh my god what <laughs> it's nothing it's nothing and she goes to the kitchen and the faucet is dripping and she she's like, you know, relief. Right. Oh, great. She turns it off. And just like that, Jennifer, looking completely beaten up, bloody, is behind her. Scares the crap out of her. And Jennifer slowly smiles and her teeth are fully stained with blood. She's like, almost seems drunk, like really drunk. Then she turns to the fridge, Jennifer does, and she grabs a rotisserie chickens out and starts like crouches on the floor and starts devouring it like an animal. And Needy's like, um, my mom wanted to save that, <laughs> which makes me laugh so hard because that's so something would happen in high school where your friends come right, over. If you're like, oh, me- that's my mom's rotisserie chicken. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be pissed. <laughs> so she runs away and there's a flashback when to when they, oh, actually, then um, Jennifer pukes out crazy like black stuff and it's disgusting and she then she runs out she jumps out of the window and then there's a flashback to when the girls were children and they were just like best friends playing in a sandbox literally then we go then we're at school the next day and needy's just seriously like what the hell and everybody's dealing with the repercussions of this death of the the fire town yeah yeah and this is one of my favorite characters of the whole show it's the teacher it's jk simmons plays this like Teacher who's oh, kind of like the lead he's teacher. He's so good, too. He's so good. And he has like, just, they don't ever explain it, but he's got, you know, a hook for an arm. Just, mm-hmm. I feel like that is such a high school thing. There's always like the teacher that's got like a wooden leg or something like that. It well, makes sense. Well, and also, sense. what a great nod to ho- like all kinds of horror movies here. You know, like you've got a guy with a hook for a hand. That's like, I know what you did last summer. Oh, that's you know? good. And yeah. Yeah, that sounds like they... Like snuck in a bunch of other horror movie like nods. I'm sure they didn't. I didn't even catch a lot of them because and yeah and 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 there's he's kind of doofy but like he really really cares about the kids and he says this is a dark day for Devil's Kettle. <laughs> it's just like he's so sweet. I don't know. I love the teacher, but um. So Needy is talking uh, talking to Chip and she's like she barked barfed up roadkill and what looked like sewing needles and Chip thinks. He's talking about Jennifer and he thinks she's lying. I just love that description too. Sewing needles and it's it's great. And I think that has, when she does barf up, you see it it looks sharp and they did use a little CGI there. Mm -hmm. So Colin, this other dude in another character that's a boy, he stops them and he tells Needy, it's, it's, so Colin plays this like goth punk character. It's the guys that are always, they have their hair like kind of spiked Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like an Edward Scissorhands look. And 
he tells Needy that she's glad that he's glad that she didn't die. And you could tell Chip's a little jelly. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So a little conflict. Exactly. But we have mm -hmm. another boy. And the funny thing is, is in this movie, the boys are periphery in a way. Right, right. Or Wait, did you say who who plays this guy? The no, but thank you. This is um, played by... I'm just curious because there's Kyle so many... Gallner. Oh, I don't know who that is. Off the top he, of my head. He was in... I think he was in Veronica Mars. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love Veronica Mars. Me too. God, we should just do a podcast on Veronica Mars. I, I would know, right? just... I'd be all over that. But anyways, he's a really cute... I think he's really cute in this. And I love his the way he did this character because you can tell he's a real he's like a normal not normal he is a straight male who wants to have sex with with a mm -hmm. girl with the girls but he also is very sweet and and a caring i liked him okay so mm -hmm. moving on but yeah so he says i'm glad you didn't die yeah great so on the football field we see one of the football players and he is upset he's crying and you hear this crazy music like and then the camera's like busting towards him like in a very violent way and Jennifer appears and she is like you're sad oh you're because his best friend died was one of the people oh. who died at the Craig she lures him into the woods and she says you come with me for just a little while it's what Craig would have wanted and they started making out and he asks why she's so warm like hellfire he, she's like burning up like magma and it's really weird scene all of a sudden, they're making out and all these animals gather around and they, they never explain this, but I just <laughs> assume that, that, that animals like to watch the devil work. I'm not sure, but so there's like, um, you see like beavers and raccoons and there's deer and everybody's like, they're making a circle as these, <laughs> as these two are making out. She rips his jersey, which is kind of a hard thing to do. She rips it off and I think she starts like rubbing him off or something. That's not really a word, but it, essentially which jerking him off jerking seems so jerky it felt more rubby but anyways she asks do you miss craig and he's like of course and she says don't worry you'll see him soon and he's like like in heaven nope and she turns into a succubus with a cgi mouth and attacks him just, mm -hmm. and this and the hor this horrible scream like animalistics of someone uh -huh. who's getting gutted you can hear in the woods and mr Robals robaliski who is the one who plays played by jk Simmons is exiting school, his briefcase in hand, and he stops in his tracks when he hears the scream. And he shakes his head sadly, and he says, God, they're feeling so much pain. And he's like, let it all out, kids. So he heads <laughs> to his car. Then he pauses if thinking better, better of it, something isn't right, and he puts his keys back in his pocket and walks towards the woods to investigate. So, of course, he finds Aww. the carnage. Then we cut to Needy, who's making food in her house and she hears that low shoulder song that they were playing um, that night on the radio and it's starting to gain notoriety and it's was it the song that was playing when the fire started it was through the trees which is the song the famous song that low shoulder was singing and they're gaining more and more notoriety and becoming more famous and she's kind of like weirded out by that then her mom wakes up it's 4 p.m. actually, and she had had one of her night terrors, and Needy, Needy was being hurt, and she couldn't save her, which yeah. is like a mom, a parent thing, you know? It's like you want to be able to, and she mentions, she's like, someday you'll be in, in danger, and I won't be there to help you. Like the other night when you were in a bar that caught fire. <laughs> exactly. So Jennifer, we see her, and she calls Needy and tells her that she's a, a god. So after she eats, she becomes like, 
Beautiful, more beautiful. She tries to light her tongue on fire as she's talking to Needy on the phone. You can hear Needy say, the days marched on, this is in VO, on as usual, but most of us were too numb to enjoy ourselves. Most of us. And then we see Jennifer cheerfully skipping down the school hallway in a sleazy Technicolor outfit. And the rest of the kids look gray, ashen, and depressed, but Jennifer pops like a Roman candle. That was written in the script. I nice. think that's cute. And Needy says, still, we, are, we were healing. Like Chip, we figured things could only get better. We had faith. Then we see clusters of cautiously optimistic kids in the school courtyard. They smile and laugh as if they're relearning how to be happy. And Needy says, we were fucking idiots. <laughs> and then Colin, our punk goth boy, he gets the courage to ask Jennifer out. And she's such a dick. She's like, you're, you're going to ask me out, right? Just what's the pitch, you know? <laughs> and then Jen invites Colin over, but as but has him come to this condemned neighborhood. And by the way, before this, Jen, her beauty is sort of starting to wane a little. And I mean, it's silly. It's silly. I, we, I mean, we have to talk about it. Amanda Seyfried is one of the most beautiful humans on the planet. And she's playing like the nerdy ugly right. one it's a movie <laughs> it's a movie and it's fine and i accept that but it just I, it must be said that she is extremely beautiful and then we see megan fox who is oh, so pretty and when she's meant to be ugly it's like they don't put makeup on her it's pretty funny it's like you're still pretty but she's she's hungry yep is what you you're saying yep yeah. yep that's what I look like when I'm hangry, too. And most of us don't look our best when we're hungry. It's true. I'm, I'm a real bitch. I'm a succubus. I could be a succubus. It's true. <laughs> this next section is Needy and Chip having sex. So okay. it's not their first time because that's something I looked up. It seems like it's their first time because it's kind of awkward. But I think like high school sex must be just kind of awkward. And then we see Jennifer luring Colin out to this neighborhood where she... She slowly, you know, she murders him. And I, yeah, I'm like, I don't know yeah. how to like. Cap's out of the bag. This, this girl's gonna, she's gonna kill the boys. Yeah, but she's hungry. And um, Needy is like psychically connected to her. So as she, it's a weird scene. As she's having sex with her boyfriend, she's like kind of scared. And he's like, am I too big? And she's like, no, dude, no. But she ends up like jumping off, leaving and being like, knowing that something's bad happening. And she's like, right. I gotta, I gotta go to her. I, I. So she jumps in her car to find Jennifer and all of a sudden, this is one of the greatest scares and guess spoiler alert, but the succubus jumps on her car and Needy runs home and has a flashback of all the times she encountered Jennifer looking like a bloody demon. And it all tracks back to when she first got in that rape van that night of the fire at Melody Lane. So Needy falls asleep. She wakes up in her bed and Jennifer's there. It's like the old sleepover day. She's like, what? What are you afraid of? And Jennifer's <laughs> looking like, beautiful, not like a succubus. Mm-hmm. Right. Looking like herself. She's well fed. So she's all glowy again. Jennifer then starts to kiss Needy. And this was in the preview. You know, they kind of like, like we talked about, they make out and it gets kind of hot. And all of a sudden Needy jumps back and says, what the fuck is happening to you? And Jennifer says, it's time, you know, friends don't keep secrets. Remember the night of the fire? And Needy's like, oh, yeah, it rings a bell. <laughs> well, I got pretty messed up. I almost died. You know those guys in low shoulder? Totally evil. They're basically agents of Satan with awesome haircuts. I figured that out as soon as I got into their molester van. I'm like, what? So she says, she's, she's like, where are we going? And Nikolai says, you don't have to talk if you don't want to. You don't have to talk. 
She asks, then she starts to get freaked out. She goes like, are you guys rapists? And he responds, I hate girls. At this point, Megan Fox is acting her balls off, like tears streaming down her face. And another band member asks, is she even a virgin? And without hesitation, Jennifer said, yes, 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 I'm a virgin. And I don't know how to do the sex stuff. So you should find someone who, who does know how. You know, we know she's not a virgin, of course. And the van stops out by the falls. Devil's kettle. And one of the band members says, I don't know if we should go through with this. And Nikolai is like, do you want to work in a coffee shop for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be rich and famous like the guy from Maroon 5? And (laughs) the other guy's like, Maroon 5. Then grow a pair and fetch me the ritual. God. And they say, we spent months making offerings to the man downstairs. And what do you know? Satan delivered. We went from college radio to being courted by the majors in two months. But that's not enough, Jenny. We want more. They brutally stab her and throw the knife in the devil's in the devil's kettle. And she eventually walks out, eats and eats the foreign exchange student. I love how I wrote that. That's like, I just went, boop. She gets stabbed. She gets killed. They leave. You know, they, they ritualistically kill her. And she goes and eats the foreign exchange student who was walking lost after the fire. And Needy is like, what the hell? And then Jennifer shows her she's almost invincible after she eats especially. She like cuts herself in the arm and it heals back. Oh. And then she threatens Chip. She's like, I'm, she's like, I like him. He's cute. And Needy's like, leave, get out. Jen says, we can play boyfriend and girlfriend like we used to. And Needy's like, just leave. She jumps out the window. Winder. And the winder. <laughs> jumps right out the window. <laughs> So now we're in the scene of Colin's funeral and she's watching from a distance and she said they did a big memorial assembly for Colin at school. We had to watch another presentation about curfews and the buddy system and how to deal with grief, but nobody seemed to care anymore. Sorrow was last week's emotion. And so at this point, she's like, I need to do some research. And so she's like, she goes to their library and starts doing paranormal research, dives deep into it. She's, and I also just love that this library has an extensive section on the occult, which in the small right. town. But she's like, a succubus. This is what they do. Blah, blah, blah. We see Jennifer a few yards away talking and laughing with some other flag team members. And we hear Needy. Jennifer and I hadn't spoken since our encounter in my room. Actually, I hadn't really smoke, spoken to anyone. And then she starts talking about demon, demonic transference. This is from her research. It happens. Demonic transference is something that happens when you try to sacrifice a virgin to Satan without using an actual virgin. And Chip, she's telling Chip this and he's like, huh? I think that's what happened to Jennifer. Those guys, those guys from that band were trying to sacrifice her in the woods. But what they didn't realize is that she hasn't been a virgin since junior high. And he's like, oh, and it says, Needy's reading, if the human sacrifice is impure, the result may still be attained, but a demon will forever reside the soul of the victim. She must forever feed on the flesh to sustain the demon. And she's like, she's eating boys. Don't you get it? So they're talking about the homecoming dance. She's like, the dance, it'll be like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And Chip does not believe her because why would you believe that? That's right, definitely right. crazy. That's a wild story. <laughs> and he wants to go to the dance. He'd already ordered her corsage for Christ's sake. And then we see this montage of everybody getting ready for the dance. Needy's mom played by, oh God, I can't help mentioning it's played by the amazing Amy Sedaris. I wrote it like three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, she is amazing. She's curling her hair and... Needy is wearing this ugly dress that's like, it's like an intense storm of pussy pink. I'm not sure why they put her in such an ugly dress, but 
it's not the 80s, but it looks like an 80s dress. Um, it's kind of like I get the idea that she's poor, but I don't know. So who knows? But she's in this fabulous. I think it's it's fabulous. It's just like so out of character of anything that anybody wore in the movie. Right. But Needy is worried and is going to try to prevent the carnage. She is sure will happen. So that's Wait, her whole is thing. Is she wearing a pink satin dress? Yes. Um, because that's a nod to Carrie. Oh, there you go. It yeah. is. It's a pink satin dress, but it's like it's big and flowy. And I think that in the script it mentioned like the look supposed to look like afterbirth or something like that, which oh, that doesn't look like afterbirth. <laughs> but but maybe that's it. There you go. Another little oh. Easter egg for all y'all murder fans out there. I mean, all y'all oh. horror fans out there. So then we also see Chip getting ready and his mom it comes in to check on him and she's like, you know, be careful out there. There's a lot of, you know, people getting murdered and she brings him her lady mace and makes him carry it. Mm-hmm. And then Jennifer is getting ready and she is so hungry, so, so very hungry. And she's looking like kind of shit and her hair is falling out and she looks like she's in physical pain as she globs makeup on her face carelessly. It's just, it's, I think it's an amazing scene. She's just like, you can tell she's kind of like a shell of a human being. Right. And the demon's like, put this makeup on your face. (laughs) So she needs this night for feeding. So then we see Chip cutting through the park on his way to the dance. And out of nowhere, Jennifer comes out of the shadows and she tells Chip that Needy, you know, Needy and Colin, they were actually having sex. And that actually Jennifer has feelings for Chip, that she wants him. And he's kind of like, wait, what? Meanwhile, Needy is at the dance waiting. And the J.K. Simmons character, the teacher, announces that, hey, guys, guess what? Surprise. Just to support because of all the bad things happening in this town, Low Shoulder is back to play their song through the trees. And she's just like, holy shit. And Chip and Jen are making out and needy. She touches her lips, sensing it. She's like, oh, shit. She can just feel it. So she books it out of the dance, starts running. And it's creepy scene outside. Jennifer is leading Chip through the park. It's a beautiful scene. It's dark. It's an open field of grass. And to the top of this hill is, it almost looks like a Parthenon type thing, but it's a structure. And it's a, a rundown pool that, indoor pool that nobody uses anymore there are overgrown plants inside and graffiti and kind of probably the dead animal in the pool of how much water is left it's pretty gross and jennifer and chip are sitting on the side of the pool and she says i feel so empty and chip is like yeah me me too and Jennifer is like, please come here and kiss me again. Make all this madness go away. And Chip tiptoes forward tentatively and sinks to his knees. He leans in and kisses Jennifer, who's clinging to the ladder of the pool. And you can hear the buzzing flies growing louder. Suddenly, Jennifer opens his eye, her eyes. She hooks her arm around Chip's neck and lunges backward. They tumble into the pool and Chip screams. And now, you know, it's... She's not just there for sex. She would like to kill him. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, bursting through the door is Needy. Dun, 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 and she jumps in the pool because, you know, she's like, I'm going to get that succubus because yeah. what are you crazy? And she can't she, take my boyfriend. Exactly. She saves Chip and she thinks she drowns her. But of course she doesn't. There's like a moment of like a there's a Jaws moment where you see the 
the water moving towards her. Uh-huh. So Jennifer comes out of the water and she starts to like hover and fly. And Chip's like, she can fly? And Needy's like, she's just hovering, Chip. It's not that impressive. <laughs> and Jennifer's like, God, do you have to undermine everything I do? You're such a player hater. And Needy's like, why, Chip? Why him? Is it just a tick me off or is it because you're insecure? And Jennifer floats in midair toward the pool deck and drifts down, landing on her feet. And Jennifer's like, I am not insecure. God, what a joke. How could I be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah, two years ago when you were socially relevant. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, this is where, yes, I guess the boys have some sort of a part, but Chip plunges like a pool skimmer through Jennifer and she leaves and he dies. So she he dies? Yeah, he dies. Oh, so she didn't save him. No. But did she get to feed on him? She fed on him a tiny bit, but she didn't like get a big... A good feed. She had also bit needy, which is a little bit scary. So she just walks out of there. She just like jumps out the window of the pool house thing. Back in Jennifer's room, this is... We're coming back to the beginning where we see Jennifer on her bed with the blood in her mouth and... She's looking at her yearbook right now and she's circling boys and writing the word yum on it. She's healed mm. from her stomach wound, but she's still hungry. Needy breaks through her window, strangles her, and she's like, you killed my fucking boyfriend. Oh, and this is where Jennifer bites her, actually. This is the point. Okay. And Needy pulls out a box cutter and stabs her. They float in the air. Needy rips off Jennifer's BFF necklace that they both wear and they fall. It's actually a beautiful scene. And Needy lands on Jennifer, piercing her heart with a box cutter. And Jennifer whispers, my tit. And Needy replies, no, your heart. And then Jennifer's mom enters the room, turns on the light, and she's like, what the fuck? My daughter! And she's sobbing, cradling her in her arms. And we hear Needy say in VO, I don't know who Needy Lesnick is anymore. And this is where we go back to the mental institution. And Needy says, I'm a different person now. A person who uses curse words and kicks orderlies and sees things that aren't there. A very bad, very damaged person. And Needy reaches up and distractedly pulls back the neckline of her shirt. And she's itching. But sometimes change can be good. For instance, most occult scholars don't know this. But if if you've been bitten by a demon and you live, you just might absorb some of the demon's abilities. So then we see Needy scratch her bite mark wincing. And you might just get lucky for once in your miserable life. So she's happy she got some some, uh, abilities. She then gets up, walks out of the high security mental institution and kicks through the fence like it was Legos. I'm just like, why didn't she do that in the beginning? But okay. And the last thing we see is Needy hitchhiking on the side of the road. And an older, very creepy dude picks her up. And he's like, where you headed? And she's like, I'm following this rock band. Huh, must be a hell of a group. And Needy says, tonight's going to be their last show. And the last thing we hear is actually Hole's song, Violet. So then we see a montage of photos of the band, Low Shoulder. And it's like bright lights. They are famous now. They're like, they're like Beatles famous. And all their groupies, it's all just still shots, parting in the hotel room. And then we hear a doorbell ring to their hotel room. And we see blood and body bags. And it's just like carnage. We don't know exactly. But Needy has murdered them all. And then I love this so much. Okay, so one of my favorite bands is Blondie. I love, I just find them so 
romantic and nostalgic for me. It's something I heard as a child and I really love them. But we hear, and it's a cover by Low Shoulder and it's Adam Brody singing. And we hear, darling, 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 I can't wait to touch you. Your picture ain't enough. I can't wait to see you in the flesh. That song, you know, in the flesh. Uh Oh, it's so good. And the movie ends and that's... That's my retelling of Jennifer's body. I loved it. Wow. Excellent. I'm sorry it took me a little bit longer, but goodness, it's every little moment is so delicious and purposeful. Yes. Well, I definitely will rewatch. I try not to, so I want to be I want to be kind of surprised by yeah. things I don't remember, but that just made me want to rewatch it for sure. Um, I remember like thinking it was really fun and like campy and silly, but it it I feel like now that I'm more grown up, I probably pick up on more of like what they're what they're trying to say with this. I think it's a really well made movie, yeah. and I'm it's it it has it's had a resurgence. Like in the last couple of years, people are like, "How do people not love this movie?" Right, and I'm definitely one of those people. I'm like, this is an amazing movie. So yeah, at the time they were like, "It's not good. It's not scary enough to be horror. It's not like like campy or funny enough to be a comedy." Yeah, and now people are like, "No, it's pretty freaking genius." They like turned yeah like most horror movies are girls running from boys not boys running from girls and so they turned the the tables if you will Mm -hmm. um i will definitely rewatch that thank you for that recap that was awesome also jk simmons and amy sedaris are reason (sighs) to watch anything so good okay so this uh story that i'm gonna tell you is kind of the opposite of the practical magic situation where practical magic inspired that woman to commit her or to plan to commit her crimes. This is actually the crime that the movie Jennifer's Body is based off of. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Right. I mean, obviously, this is a horror movie that goes into supernatural things and all that stuff. So it's it's loosely based. But this inspired Jennifer's Body. And part of me, I think, and you tell me what you think after I tell you the story, but part of me really feels like this movie was written with the idea that the the girl I'm going to tell you about, like if she could have taken revenge, Ooh. this would have been her story. Um, also, I am just going to do like a, a warning that this um, involves not just murder, but uh, rape and necrophilia. Oops. So um, there's some dark, dark stuff coming this coming down the pipeline. <laughs> um, and that's just I just wanted to warn people because. It's funny when it's uh, in a movie, you know, and like a succubus is gutting people in the woods. Um, Less funny when it's real people. Yeah. Okay. So this is the story of the murder of Elise Poller. Um, Elise Poller was a 15-year-old girl who lived in Arroyo Grande, California. The year is 1995. So this also, I think for me, because the age of all these people is kind of about I was a little younger I think in 95 I turned 13 and she was 15 but you know it's like that same kind of era like yeah the clothing like the picture of her she's where she looks like blossom you know she's got this cute little dress and hat on and she's very 90s and so cute let's see let me tell you a little bit about Elise so Elise was born April 24th 1980 she was the oldest of four kids um, and she was a good kid. She came from a loving family. They were um, re- like a not religious, but like you know, they were they went to church. They were they were religious. I guess they were religious, like fairly conservative. Religious, or, yeah, 
but just like a religious good family. Um, she excelled at lots of things. She was very artistic, um, excellent with uh, painting. Uh, she made her own dresses with like out patterns. Um, she was a good tennis player. In fact, when she was, I think, in junior high, she won like some big tournament and she was featured in the local newspaper. And her ultimate goal was she wanted to be an actress in the movies. Um, but around the time of her death, She's 15, so she's starting to experiment, as you do. I feel like there isn't probably many people who can't say that around 15, 16 is when you're like, I'm getting my freedom a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to try some stuff. So she had started experimenting with like some weed, some alcohol. Um, she was kind of, according to some of the people who went to high school with her, like she hung out with a lot of the guys that did drugs um, but her parents would say that that's not true you know that she was she was just friends with everybody um, but she had uh, started you know dabbling in some stuff and one day at school it was obvious to her teacher that she was impaired and so she was brought into the principal's office parents were called turns out she had smoked a little weed and had a little bit to drink before going to school oh, that geez. day <laughs> so as a result her parents um, enrolled her in one of those like I, what did I wrote it down? A drug class. But it's like a place where you like people who, you know, need to learn like how destructive drugs can be type class. Sure. Um, so she took it in stride. She wasn't even mad about it. She was like, yeah, I guess I, I'll take the class. Um, and of course, in this class are tons of other kids doing drugs. Um, and she uh, becomes friends with one of the kids that she meets in the class, which is a kid named Jacob Delashmut also 15. Um, and on the night of July 22nd, she is at home with her family watching a movie and she gets a phone call. Talks on the phone for a second, hangs up, goes back to watching the movie. Then she gets a second phone call, picks it up again, talks on the phone for a little bit, hangs up, sits down for like a few minutes. And then she's like, I'm really tired, fam. I'm going to go to bed now. And, uh, off she goes to bed but she doesn't actually go to bed she goes to her room she stuffs her bed you know if you ever snuck out did you ever sneak out did I you didn't stuff? no I didn't either um but <laughs> she she stuffs her bed with like pillows and clothes mm -hmm. and she goes out and meets up with three boys one of whom is um Jacob Deleshmit the one I mentioned that she met at this drug class he also happened to be friends with a boy named Joseph Fiorella, who she went to high school with, so she knew him. And then there was another friend who was like a friend of those two boys, and his name was Royce Casey. And they had invited her to um, go with them to smoke some marijuana. So they walk a little bit to this eucalyptus grove that's like maybe a quarter of a mile from where she lives, and they start to smoke some weed. And then as soon as the... Drugs are kind of taking the effect. Uh, Jacob Delashmit takes off his belt, he and he wraps it around Elise's neck. Royce then jumps on her and uh, pins down her arms and legs. And then Joseph Fiorello pulls out a hunting knife and stabs her in the neck multiple times. What? Then, um, yeah. Then Jacob um, and Royce also stab her in the neck. They then stomp on her because she's not dying fast enough. And then once um, they are certain that she has died uh they took turns uh having sex with her corpse that's crazy yeah 
Um, like what, how do you do that? Just be like with your friends. You're like, listen, we're going to kill. And I mean, that's like insane. And how do three people like all agree to commit such an egregious, heinous, that's horrific act. Crazy. So here's the thing, Vanya, this was not a spur of the moment, like killing. This was something that these boys had been planning for a while. In fact, this is not even the first time they'd tried to kill Elise. So Earlier in the summer, I'm in shock. They had again lured her out to smoke weed with them, um, and it was Jacob and Joseph, but it was a different third boy. His name was Travis Williams, and they took her to this like mesa where there was a ravine, um, and the plan was one of them was going to pretend to slip down the ravine, and so that when she would go down to try to help them, that's when they would get her. So the plan doesn't exactly like go. Right, right. So he like sort of slips. She doesn't really follow all the way. But Joseph pulls out the hunting knife, the same one that he will use to kill her a month later, tosses it to the the boy, Travis, and both he and Jacob start chanting, do it, do it, do it. But Travis freezes and doesn't do anything. Now, here's the deal. Obviously, they're doing, you know, they're smoking the weed. They're probably being goofy. They're teenagers. Elise doesn't doesn't think this was anything weird. She didn't take it seriously. She, cause she hung out with them still. Um, little did she know that their plan that day had been to kill her. Um, she just chalked it up to, you know, fucked up boys. And Wait, where, uh, where did this take place again? This is in Arroyo Grande, California, which strangely enough at one point had been considered like a very wonderful place to raise a family. But in the nineties, actually had become kind of a dangerous place and a place where there was lots of teen violence, like teens committing robberies and murders, as I'm talking about one of them. Um, I think that some bad drugs had kind of made their way into town. So uh, not just marijuana, lots no. of like meth yeah. and um, acid and stuff like that. So um, where was I? Sorry. So this was not spur of the moment, uh, spur of the moment, um, but it was something that they had been planning. Obviously, they had had a failed attempt. And here's why these boys did this. They were in a death metal band called Hatred. Now, I looked it up just to make sure. So death metal is a subgenre of heavy metal music that specifically has lyrics that involve murder, torture, and the occult. And um, they wanted to commit a sacrifice to the devil so that their band could achieve the level of crazy, the level of craziness necessary to go professional Whoa. and become famous. So because Elise was blonde, blue-eyed, and a virgin, they felt that sacrificing her would be the ultimate sin against God and would earn them and earn them all, sorry. They felt that sacrificing her was the ultimate sin against God and would earn them all tickets to hell. Again, I still have a hard time wrapping my brain around, like, why is that what you want? Why do you want a, a ticket to hell? Um, meth told them so. Yep, meth told them so. Uh, so on July 23rd, the next day, realizing Elise had snuck out the night before, but that she had not come home, her dad contacted police. But because of Elise, Elise's recent, you know, drug bust at school and the fact that she was a teenager that was kind of like maybe hanging out with some bad kids the police are like we think that you know she probably just ran away and she'll come home and the parents are like no we really we we she got two phone calls last night and it just felt weird she abruptly went to bed we think that something's happened but again the police are like well 
we'll we'll ask around we'll start looking so they start asking questions looking for her um organizing search parties uh they can't find anything they can't really figure anything out there's no clues but they do keep receiving like unconfirmed and again unconfirmed but tips of sightings of her in like nearby counties um so months go by right and they're looking sightings are coming in um in fact as we close in like get closer to christmas so this happened in july so now we're in december um they get one of these sightings that says that um elise had actually run away and joined a carnival but that she would either call or come home on Christmas because this was a religious family. Christmas was a big holiday. So on Christmas Day, her family gathers together at their ranch house. They have like a Christmas tree. They have gifts for Elise under the tree. But the day comes and goes and there is no call. And also, I just want to be like, this is 1995. Like, did kids really run off and join carnivals? It's, it's not like weird. It's not like I mean, what was the time period when that was the thing? Like the 20s? I mean, I don't know. Like, when did you run away and join a carnival? Well, I think like um, a carnival is a place where they'll take like just anybody kind of thing. Sure, sure. I could be wrong. Um, so when that call doesn't come or she doesn't arrive at the family home that day, the parents are really positive that she's not coming home. Um, meanwhile, this whole time, the three fucking jackasses uh joseph jacob and royce have been actually bragging to people that they are the ones that killed elise and bragging to people that they have been returning to the where they murdered her and committing necrophilia with her corpse this whole time and each boy told at least two people like bragged to two people. However, the story is so insane. Right, exactly. That part of me actually understands why like other 15-year-old boys weren't like, we should go to the cops, you know? But like maybe mention it to your parents. This girl is missing. You all know that's true. And you're being told that your friend did it and is still having sex with her, with her corpse. So the case goes completely cold. They have no leads, no, I mean, no idea of what happened to her or who could be involved. And then eight months later, in March of 1996, this is how this case gets solved. Royce Casey, so he was one of the boys, um, walks into the police station and confesses to what he, Jacob, and Joseph had done. So here's what happened. Immediately after the murder, and not immediately because he clearly also returned to the Eucalyptus Grove, but he started to pull away from his friends and bandmates um, and he actually found Christianity and became a born again Christian. So uh, he no longer worshiped the devil. And then also he knew because the boys had said they had, they were going to kill again because you know, they weren't getting any better at their music at this point. Yeah. So he feared that the other boys would kill again and maybe even kill him because their, their favorite death metal band was Slayer. Did you ever hear? Do you know what Slayer? I, I, I wasn't. I've heard of the of band music. name, but I didn't know. I haven't. I'm not right. familiar. So that was their favorite band, and they had a song where the lyrics were, "If you're not with us, you may no longer exist." So Royce was convinced that because he was pulling away from them, and obviously had become born again, so he was pulling away from Satanism, or which doesn't even mean what these boys were doing. I I didn't look up what the actual practice of like satanism is but it's not this and so 
when asked, because again, crazy story, they're like, okay, well, uh, can you lead us to her body? And he says that he can. And so he has them go out to the eucalyptus grove and they do in fact find like the completely decayed corpse of Elise Pauler. The medical examiner determines that she was stabbed 12 times. However, not one of those stab wounds was fatal. So her death was like a slow bleed bleeding to death oh. is what happened there. And other upsetting facts that came out in the confession of Royce about how it all went down. That's how they know exactly who did what with like the belt, the holding down, the stabbing, the stomping. He also informed them in his confession that as they were killing her, she cried out for her mother and she prayed to God. Oh. Um, uh, so... All three boys are brought in and they actually all confess like nobody denies it. Um, They all say that they had been not just smoking the weed, that these boys would often take meth and drop LSD while they would listen to death metal music and like talk about sacrificing Elise. Um, uh, They also had become like prior to the plan to commit you know, a virgin to the devil, they had just kind of gotten into the occult. You know, it's like a big part of the genre of music that they wanted to be huge superstars in. And so they were reading books on the occult. They would they went into some satanic like chat rooms because this was the age of AOL in the chat room. Oh, yeah. Um, And that is where they actually were given the idea that you could sacrifice a virgin to the devil and like reap rewards from him for that. Uh, Joseph Fiorella, although he was the youngest of the three boys, was the most into the occult, the most knowledgeable about them and the ringleader of the group. Um, And he, all three boys, sorry, all three boys told the cops when they were confessing that Slayer's music was the driving force behind the killing. Now you have to remember that technically these kids were minors, however, they don't even go to trial. They plead no contest, right? So they they don't, um, there's never like an actual trial that takes place. They plead no contest and they are sentenced like adults to 25 years to life. But they all have the possibility of parole. And I wonder if that's because a minor can't be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mm, I don't know. Um, so in the aftermath, David and Lisan um, Pauler, end up filing two lawsuits against the band Slayer. And then um, in one of the lawsuits, they also named uh, some labels like Sony for being responsible for the death of their daughter by writing music that talks about like murdering people, sacrificing people to the devil. Um, And for reasons that I actually completely understand, like that those cases were all tossed out because of freedom of speech this was a big time. Uh, remember when like warning labels started getting slapped on like music yeah, and um, on video games and on DVDs. And this is all kind of at the tail end of what had been the satanic panic of the of the 80s and early 90s where mm. like people grownups were convinced that like movies and video games and music were turning like teenagers into Satan worshipers who would like do this kind of a thing so while I get the parents desperate desire to like blame everybody yeah and I do I do understand and you know ultimately those um those cases never 
never they were all thrown out the judge said while i find the lyrics you know morally repugnant and horrible you know it's protected it was probably Uh, more so the meth and the lsd well and it's so interesting because the boys um start to after a couple of years in in jail they kind of start to change their story a little bit probably in hopes that they will get parole when the day comes but they blamed they stuck with the story that it was slayers music and the 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 desire to be you know as big of a band as they was their favorite band and all this stuff that drove them to it but none of them ever says like hey our 15 year old brains were really fucking warped by acid and methamphetamines you know and like something's broken up here you know like yeah um something was probably already broken up here um and that didn't help so a few years as i mentioned after they had been in prison uh jacob delashment changes his story while he was giving an interview to the washington post he said the music we were listening to is destructive but that is not why elise was murdered she was murdered because joe fiorella was obsessed with her and obsessed with killing her so he says basically that it was all joe's idea they were more just witnesses um joseph fiorella also changed his story story saying that the music had nothing to do or sorry, the music, that the murder had nothing to do with the music and that the crime was never intended as any kind of satanic sacrifice. He just killed her, which I'm like, how is that better? It's not. Um, But it also to me feels like an obvious move to be like, I didn't, I didn't like worship the devil and sacrifice a young girl to him. I just, I, I was a fucked up kid and I committed murder. Um, And all of this I think is, in an attempt to hope that they can gain parole. But as it turns out, they um, both Jacob and Joseph have been denied parole at least, I think, twice. But uh, Royce, the one who actually uh, confessed and led police to the body, even though he had the same sentence, he was initially denied uh, parole. And then I think initially, or then the second time around, denied it again. But he was actually granted parole this year. Um, He is not out yet. He's like 43 years old. Um... But he was granted parole. Uh, he's still in prison, so I don't know when that date will be. But that's also kind of crazy. Yeah. And then another just weird aspect to this story, as I mentioned, that it was like a, a town where it had become kind of violent, gangs, drugs, all that stuff. So that boy, Travis Williams, who was there at the first attempt, the reason he wasn't there on the final attempt was because he was already in jail for shooting somebody in the head during a burglary so he had murdered somebody and went to jail and then right after this happened like shortly after the boys were put in prison uh anthony fiorella the older brother of joseph fiorella was also charged with murdering um a 15 year old boy who had robbed him of drugs my god and so part of me feels like parents where you be but it turns out in the case of the Fiorellas, it was she was a single mom and she had actually called like sheriff's department, child like child services being like, I need help. My children are out of control. I'm assuming, you know, like maybe by the time she's got 15, 16 year old kids, like they're bigger than her maybe and she can't yeah. control them. Um, so it just feels like there's so many. That's a wild so many story. Areas. Yeah. So many areas where like this kind of thing should have been like never should have been allowed to happen no um but i do really do think that in my heart of hearts like the the glory of jennifer's body yes. is imagining a world where 
a girl who was the victim of such a senseless, horrible, heinous act of violence gets to like take her revenge. I will take that 100%. Oh, gosh. That's it's interesting. It's terrifying. And um, I am going to be a helicopter mom forever. <laughs> oh, my right? God. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the stories like this that were happening when we were teenagers, why people our age are Oh, helicopter. Parents. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Sorry, but not sorry. But right. you guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I find it so fascinating. Avrin, thank you for the story. It's just wild. Yeah. And so upsetting. I would seriously recommend go watch Jennifer's Body. It's great. You can watch it for free on Prime if you have it. There will be commercials. But honestly, I don't mind commercials when things get scary. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's good to have that little break, you know, where they're like selling you um, life insurance. And it's actually the principal or the teacher from the movie who's selling it to you. That's you know? right. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have a great week. Thank you so much. And we hope we you have a talk to you fun soon. Halloween. Bye. Yes. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye. You enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe. All those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week. <laughs>